Live from Woking, this is the Saturday Brunch with Emma Williams. Good morning everyone and welcome to the show. Today I'm looking at all the things your mentor never thought to tell you. It's not about yoga, it's not about massages and what we're now required to call teacher well-being. It's about experienced teachers telling other teachers exactly how they do it. Live from Woking, this is the Saturday Brunch with Emma Williams on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Well, welcome one and all to this beautiful sunny morning. Uh, here, it's, it certainly is here in Woking. You may notice I now have my own jingle revealing my ho- hometown. I actually live in a village called Horsell, which is part of Woking. And the reason that's important is you may well know that Horsell Common is where the Martians landed in H.G. Wells's War of the Worlds. Woking is also the town called Malice, as sung by the Jam. Apparently, one can see Paul Weller in his natural habitat of Waitrose on occasion. And we're also the hometown of the UK's first ever purpose-built mosque. So that's Woking. But anyway, school must remember why I'm here. Well, what a week. Masks are back in certain settings. I have to say I'm finding finding it a fair bit more tolerable this year because we're not in bubbles and I am blessed with my own classroom. So because we don't have to wear them in the teaching environment, I'm not having to put mine on all the time to move around. So I have to say I'm, I'm not finding it too bad this time round. And as I found last year, the level of compliance amongst students is just extraordinary. I, I find it amazing. The, overwhelming majority of them you just don't have to nag them about it they've been really really good further updates from me I'm still freezing um so I feel you need a little bit more detail on my my thermal pant leggings um those of you who who know me in real life will know that I'm really short so these leggings are basic they're kind of like and they're, they're really tight so they're kind of like a wetsuit and if I wanted them to, they probably unroll all the way up to the neck. I don't go with that option. I sort of fold them down so I get a sort of double thermal pant layer around the middle. Can you get thermal pants? It's a thought, actually. But anyway, I've got this double layer around the middle. Um, I'm also still wearing a scarf at, on occasion, fingerless gloves. Um, and the thermal vest on the days where it has been particularly cold. Yesterday, not a problem. Day before that, freezing. Um, Meanwhile, loads of the girls, uh, the kids, are wearing skirts and socks. I don't know what that's about. Um, Just extraordinary. So today I've got no booked guest, so I'm flying solo on the show, but I am hoping to be joined by some surprise callers. Uh, I would also encourage anyone to message or call in as today is all about helping each other out with the best tips for survival, especially at this time of year. So last week, 
Zoe Enser, who's a fellow uh, Teachers Talk radio host and general edu guru. Uh, she published a new blog about teacher well-being, and so much of it resonated with me, um, not least because she agrees that that phrase in itself is, is almost becoming somewhat irritating. She said, I think it's important to step outside of your own personal box. I know everyone is busy, but it can be so easy to forget what it's like to teach a five period day, have a break duty, form time, still need to adjust plans for the next day and then head into a meeting or a parents evening. She says, I know many leaders still teach, so do know what it is like to be there in front of the class and the demands that places on us, but nothing is quite the same as those five hours. It is a special kind of tired that, like childbirth, we click quickly block out in the name of self-preservation when we don't need to do it. She also says, I don't think that this, like many things in schools, is an easy fix. Stripping back what we are doing and what we're asking others to do can make a difference. Thinking about systems and how they might help streamline things and take the pressure off matters. Looking at the whole school calendar and knowing where the pinch points are, even if they are unavoidable, is important. What is the requirement for reporting? What is the turnaround on um, matters for assessment? Is this the same? Is this a sensible requirement? Will it make a big difference to the students? Are there other ways we could do it if the payoff is not really a good one? So elsewhere in her blog, Zoe does address the different pressures that leadership are under. And something else that resonated with me this week was a thread on Twitter by Carly Waterman, who is a head teacher in a secondary school. So she wrote as follows. The second half of the autumn term is, sorry, the second half of the autumn term is always the time when I contemplate giving it all up and opening a tea shop instead. Anyone else feel this way? This has happened to me every year for the past 22 years. Mornings and evenings are dark. Tiredness seems inescapable. There's not enough time in the day and the pressure is relentless. And now with COVID, the feeling is magnified. But, she says, what I've learned over 22 years is that you cannot trust how you feel at this dark and tough time of year. Your feelings are important, but they're not real enough to base any life-changing decisions on them. Resist rash decisions and wait. Inevitably, the time will come when you will realise it's not quite as dark and hopeless as you thought. You will feel stronger, brighter and more hopeful. You will be glad then that you didn't resign on a Friday afternoon in a storm of tears and remonstrations. And you'll be grateful to the people who gave you their time heard your rants, acknowledged your fears and who reflected back at you the reasons why you do what you do. 
And even though I go through this every year, it always takes me a bit by surprise. You'd think after 22 years, I'd recognise it straight away. But no, when I'm in it, I don't see it straight away. And then with time and help, I do. And it's a relief. And if I'm feeling this way, then so are others, which is why I ask our staff to be extra patient and forgiving with each other during this time. You never know what someone is carrying or how close they may be to the edge. Go gently with each other. And so if you're feeling like it's all too much and you start looking at how much tea shops cost, allow your feeling space, but don't put them in charge and talk to someone. Recognise that everyone that sees everything that seems tough now will seem less so in future. We've got this. Well, and I'm really excited to say, I think we've actually got Carly calling in right now. Um, are you there, Carly? I am, Emma. Good morning. Hello. Hi. Well, so nice of you to um, to join in with the show. So what um, what made you feel that that tweet might resonate with with some other teachers well it's interesting because you never quite know what kind of tweet will resonate with others and actually mm. when i did that thread um in the week it was really very much a personal reflection it's because i have as i described in the thread sort of been through over the past couple of weeks some dark times and then come out the other end of it and then i did that sort of moment where i thought actually yeah, I recognise this. I've done this every year in my whole career. Um, and I felt like I just wanted to share it with others, really. Um, and actually, it really took me by surprise by how much it resonated with others, which just showed me that I'm, I'm not alone in this either. And, and I'm right in my kind of prediction that other people do feel this way. Um, and I think, you know, for me personally, I've also had COVID this term, which has been tough. Um, and it just made me realize that, you know, when you are down and when teachers are really, really busy and they really are, and it's such a tough term in so many ways, it's so easy to fall into the trap of thinking, this isn't for me anymore. It's just too difficult. I just don't think I can carry on doing this. I, you know, I need to have a change of career. Um, but like I said, you know, I, I have I have felt that way and I do feel that way at this time of year every year. Quite a lot of people feel it in February time as well, which is another sort of tough time of this, the academic year. But I think if you make a decision um, at that time, you would possibly re re um, regret it. Um, and, and it doesn't mean that, you know, that you, you shouldn't do do what your heart tells you to do. And I know that there will be some people and I know some people who, who are giving up teaching during this term, you know, they have decided it is too much for them and that's fine. Um, but I think for lots of us, it's just about recognizing that it's, it is our emotions that are making us feel that way. And you, you do, you know, nine times out of 10, you do come out the other side of it. And actually, I think the reason I was able to tweet that thread this week is because I have come out the other side of it, thankfully, this term. Um, I'm now feeling so, so much more positive um, than I did some weeks ago. And, you know, I think you can probably tell from the thread that there's some real sort of honest and personal moments there. So I, I definitely did have a very dark moment some weeks back where I just thought, that is it. I have had enough. I can't do this. Anymore. I'm going to hand in my resignation. This is it. <laughs> but of course not. I mean, I absolutely love my school so much. I feel so privileged to do the job that I do. Um, but, but at the same time, it's really, really, really hard. Um, and there are definitely times when I think I'm not good enough or I can't do this very well or somebody else would be far better doing it. Um, but actually, that's just a 
it's just a product of how I'm feeling at the time. It's just a product of the dark mornings and the dark nights and the pressure and the having COVID and the dealing with all of the COVID issues in school and, and everything. And actually, I have come out the other side of it. And I look back now and I go, oh, my goodness, um, I must have been a nightmare to live with during that time. Um, and it's going to be OK. You know, it's going to be fine. Christmas is going to be lovely. Um, we're going to get through all of these pressures and we're going to get through all of these, you know, difficult times together and it will, it will be fine. But I just think it's about recognizing that that's how you're feeling when you're in it. And like I said in the thread, acknowledging it because it is real when you're in it. And I absolutely feel that if, if me, if I feel this way, you know, and I've been in the profession a long time and I'm a head teacher, then absolutely other people are going to be feeling the same way. And it's really important to me that we all recognize that and are, as I said in the thread, extra kind to one another and to go gently with one another because um, mm. it's a tough time of year. Yeah, I really loved um, you, what you say to your staff about, you know, looking out for each other at this time. But I, I think about our head and, and I'm thinking about you it's tough at the top, isn't it? Is it is it lonely because because you're the head teacher? Does it make it yes, harder? We talk about it being lonely, um, and I guess in some respects, kind of conceptually, it's lonely because there are things that you are dealing with that you have to just kind of manage on your own. Um, but I am extremely lucky in that I have a, just a phenomenal team around me, um, and you know I'm really grateful for all of that level of support. But I think. You know, going back to what Zoe said in her blog, um, you know, she's absolutely right that it's important that leaders remember exactly what it's like to teach, you know, five or six lessons a day, plus a break duty, then a meeting, then a parents evening, and all of that pressure, because that is extraordinarily difficult. It really is. Mm -hmm. And I keep that in mind a lot. And I still do teach myself as well. But I think there is also an equivalent um, for, for school leaders as well. I mean, I have some days literally back to back phone calls, meetings, lesson obs, learning walks, duties. I mean, I do so much duty. It's unreal. I do all of my senior team. And I think senior teams across the country now are doing so much more duty than they ever did before. And they're trying really hard to take the pressure off, off staff doing duties as well. Um, so, you know, the, the equivalent is there for school leaders where you just feel absolutely exhausted and you don't have a moment to, to, to think about anything else. But that's OK. You know, that's what we sign up for. I think, you know, partly... That's um, the nature of our profession. Um, and it's important to have people around you that, that can support you and help you to kind of um, look upwards and outwards as well, because that always helps. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I do think it's tough. And, um, you know, I think it's important that all of us, whatever job we do within the profession, that we surround ourselves by people who can who can acknowledge how we feel, listen to us. But also then, as I said in the in the thread, reflect back at us why we do what we do. And I think that's probably one of the most important things we can do for one another is really help each other to remember, you know, the reasons why we do this. Nobody goes to school to do a bad job. Everybody is in it because they want the very, very best for young people. And I think that's just really important to remember that because then that feels quite fulfilling. And you recognise that you're doing something that's important. Mm. Yeah, I think that's very true. So, um, Final question I've got for you as 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 a head teacher, do you see a surge in either people coming to you either complaining or or distressed or even a surge in resignations at certain times of year? Is that something you you've observed in your time as a head? Um, <coughs> excuse me, I think you know this time of year is the time when it feels sometimes feels like it's all falling apart. Um, and I think, as I said as well, that any everybody is carrying everybody. Has, has personal or family issues and concerns and worries. And they have them probably all year round. But at this time of year, I think those things feel more acute. And I think it's the time when people feel weaker uh, and less resilient. 
Um, so it is the time of year where I kind of I, I look at my staff, I look at my wonderful team all around me, and I see all of the pressures and the emotions and and everything that people are going through, and I feel extraordinarily proud of all of them for managing everything so well, given the fact that they're everybody's you know having tricky times. So I think yeah, over the years I have recognised that this is a time when people are fragile. Um, I personally haven't, you know, experienced lots of people coming complaining or resigning necessarily, but I think that's because I'm lucky in that I'm in a really fantastic school where, you know, we have a culture of really taking care of one another, uh, being ca- compassionate towards one another and patient and, and, and the support networks around all of us in our school are, are really good. Um, but I feel for people who perhaps don't work in a school environment like that, because I think that's what helps us all to keep going at, at Lodge Park Academy. We're just we're just there for one another. Um so, but I think, you know, I, I don't know what the stats are, but I'm quite sure that if we looked at them, there is sort of this time of year is potentially the time when people do resign. Um, and I, over my career, I have known, sadly, a number of, um, you know, NQTs or trainees give up at this time of year. And I do think that's sad because I think if they if they could try their best to sort of get to the end of it, they might feel a little bit differently. But at the same time, as I said at the start, it's also important to follow your heart. And I'm definitely not of the view that we should continue with something if it's making you ill or unhappy. Um, so these are, you know, they're important life decisions. So I think the most important thing, Emma, is that within schools, we recognise it's a dark time and we just wrap around one another, go gently with one another and be as patient as we possibly can be. Well, I think that's absolutely amazing advice for all of us. And I think if, if I could add, uh, we do all need to remember this about about our, our leaders. I'm very conscious that as as classroom staff it's very easy if you're upset and annoyed about something that's usually when you go and see one of your leaders and go and 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 I think that in my school they are incredible door always open endlessly supportive and they are absorbing all of our pain exhaustion frustration and and still having to put put out this positive um persona and I and I absolutely take my hat off to you because I, I think uh, I think you're all doing an incredible job uh, very very lucky to work for great leaders and uh, sounds like Carly's doing an amazing job in her school well thank you so much Carly for coming on and um, talking to us live um, about um, your Twitter thread so I shared that on Twitter earlier and um, Carly said I might come on the show which was absolutely fantastic so today's show is all about all the things that can genuinely save you time and stress and hence keep you hopefully sane in the job or frankly keep you in the job full stop as Carly and I've just been talking about we we really do need to be discussing the fact that we do lose so many colleagues from the profession within their first year or within their first five years. And one of the reasons many of them cite is, of course, workload. I'm a great believer that a lot, not all, but a lot of this workload is extraneous and unnecessary. Much of it does come from above and usually can be traced back to some leaders' anxieties about Ofsted. Without exception, in my 21 years in teaching, the most onerous performances I have been tasked with can be traced back to this fundamental. Sometimes it is worth pushing back. I'm an increasingly big fan of the sentence, show me the evidence. Show me the evidence that this is worth my time. What is the impact on teaching and learning? Will it genuinely change outcomes or are we just tinkering for the sake of it? 
Is this genuinely an opportunity for me to review and rethink my curriculum? In which case, I assume you will give me several months in which to achieve that goal. Or are you asking me to type up information I already have and knowledge I already retain onto a new format? One that looks the same as the one used by all the other departments, so it looks nice frosted. In which case, to be honest, I'm probably going to kick off. All of that said, management is management, the head is the head, and fundamentally there may come a point where they say, you've got to do it, it's my way or the highway. And we all know that. So the reality is that teachers often have to fit in a vast amount of things into their day, on top of the teaching itself. Some of it is simply unavoidable. So in the context of those unavoidable things, how do we do it? How do those of us that have been in the job for over 20 years do it without going bonkers, without becoming the world champion of moaning, and without sacrificing our relationships, our friendships and our sanity? Well, strap yourselves in, because that's what I'm looking at for the rest of the show. You will, I hope, have your own tips and ideas for staying sane in the profession. So do message me in the chat box and I will try to bring in as many as I can throughout the show. So this is a genuine opportunity for us to pool our ideas and experience. And if we make life a little bit easier for somebody listening out there, if we save one or two people a little bit of time and stress, then that's what it's all about. So the first thing I wanted to consider is planning. So I put out on Twitter the question, what are your most valuable time-saving tips that you wish you'd thought of years ago when I was planning the show? And one of the first respondents, he's got a bit of an odd Twitter handle. I think his name is Steve. He's a classics teacher on Twitter. He said, never spend more time on planning a lesson than T slash two, where T is how long the lesson is meant to last. Never, ever. Obviously, if you can spend less, ideally much less, do it. Some of my best lessons have been planned in under 10 minutes. Now, this is, of course, quite radical, but I think it is really important. It's really important to think, how long is it realistic to spend on planning an individual lesson and to bear that in mind what is it that you're investing your your time in so um adam boxer wrote a blog on workload a few months ago and he certainly focused a great deal on sharing resources rather than reinventing the wheel he is of course a science teacher um, so in a very large department where that's not only um, possible but important You've got to have consistency across your curriculum. Now, one of the points he makes is that if you're going to do that, that must come with what he calls merciless folder curation. Now, I'm quite into that myself, even though it's only me. Um, I'm the only teacher of my subject in my school, but I'm still really anal about my filing because I find even if it's just me looking in those files, it's really important for them to be organised Otherwise, I'm never going to find anything again. So, again, it's about what you invest your time in. Actually, that little bit of extra time creating a really careful system saves you eons of time in the long run. 
But back to planning, there has, of course, for a long time been a debate raging about PowerPoint. So many teachers now teach with a visualiser and a blank page, creating live explanations as they go. And they spend their planning time thinking about how they're going to do that. And that is, in many ways, absolutely fantastic. Certainly, if you're teaching science or geography, where you are perhaps going to be doing an explanation of a process, I think that would be hard to beat as a methodology. I'm going to put my hand up and say I still use PowerPoint and I have yet to find a better methodology for me for presenting my subject, which is a heavily inflected dead language. That is the fundamental. So I'm presenting tables, um, sometimes with vast amounts of information on them. And what I'm doing is, for example, highlighting a pattern. So for me, presenting it like that is actually much better for the students and for me. And of course, I've got very adept at copying and pasting and uh, adapting already existing slides. So it is hugely important to think about if you're using PowerPoint, what you're using it for. Is it window dressing? In which case, get rid of it. Is it taking up far too much of your time to do? Get rid of it. But if it's actually aiding you, uh, supporting you in your planning and making that process simpler and easier, then there's nothing wrong with it. One thing I would add is that a life-changing thing that's happened to me in my school over the last year is they've ripped out my interactive whiteboard. With my permission, obviously, I was, I was all for it. Um, we've done that across the department. So we now just have the projector projecting onto a normal whiteboard. They've given us beautiful new, very large whiteboards. Now, what that means if you're using PowerPoint is you don't have to spend hours, which I often did in the past, using animations to highlight things because you're there with your board pen. Um, and of course, in theory, you were meant to be able to do that on the old, old interactive whiteboards, but we all know they were rubbish. They were always slightly out of line. It was just really stressful. You ended up not using it in that particular way. Um, whereas just being able to annotate directly onto what I'm presenting is incredibly useful. And I have found that a huge time saver. So if your school hasn't thought that through yet, maybe um, that is something to consider. So next up, I'm going to be talking about marking, the real big one. So don't go anywhere. Need support with your phonics teaching? Did you know Oxford University Press now has three DFE validated programmes to help you? Read Write Ink Phonics, Floppies Phonics, and the brand new Essential Letters and Sounds. Essential Letters and Sounds will get all your children reading well, quickly, using phonics books you may already have in your classroom. Developed by the Knowledge Schools Trust English Hub, it's affordable, easy to use, and makes teaching phonics with letters and sounds more effective. Whatever your school's phonics needs, Oxford has the solution. To find out more and receive support from your expert local educational consultant, visit oxfordprimary.com forward slash phonics. 
So marking is obviously the big one um, and I've had messages from various teachers about the marking process itself and then I'm going to be talking about some real basics of practicalities about literally how you collect things in. So Mr Harrison on Twitter made the point about self or peer marking. Um, obviously, yes, absolutely, really useful. And in fact, there's something quite powerful about students marking their own work or, or peer marking. You have to think very carefully about how you're going to do that. Uh, it has to be fair. It has to be um, well managed. And that can in itself take uh, time and thought and energy. But again, maybe something to plan into the future, something to look at in a holiday and think, how can I do more of this to reduce my marking workload during next term? It does, of course, also just depend on your whole school marking policy. So ours, for example, says for each assessment, which we're asked to do every three weeks, that has to be teacher assessed, or at least has to have a teacher assessed element in it. So we're not allowed to, to hand that all over to students. But it's certainly something for um, new teachers to consider. Likewise, some people were talking about the importance of marking annotations. So developing a shorthand within your department for things that you agree. Also, if your school has not embraced whole class feedback yet, then complain vociferously until they do, because all the evidence is there that it is more effective, produces better outcomes, as well as saves teacher time, teacher's time. I've had somebody in the chat saying it is a godsend. Absolutely. So I'm certainly pushing very hard for it uh, in my school and Frankly, I'm just starting to do it because when something is that um, evidence based uh, and you can prove such good outcomes, I'm, I'm, I'm just doing it. Basically, writing reams of personalised individual feedback for all the students you teach is unsustainable nonsense, especially in a secondary school. I, I teach 13 different classes, 13. So there's absolutely no way I can give individualised handwritten, personalised feedback to every student. And it becomes an absolute nonsense when you realise you're writing the same thing dozens and dozens of times, which is, of course, what many of us do. Or used to do, because I don't do it anymore. Point blank, refuse. So more tips from uh, other teachers. Josephine Hartley said to me on Twitter, and this is a good one, if marking books ask students to hand their books in open on the page they've been working on. Now, this is the kind of down to the nuts and bolts little tips that I'm looking for here. Genius. Okay, so if you are taking in all of the books, they should leave it open on the page that you are going to be looking at. It might sound like a small thing, but believe you me, it saves you time. Now, what I'm going to talk about is in a similar vein. So really important tips for actually how you manage the process of administration, collection, and what you're then going to do with what you're collecting. So one of the things I find is hugely important, and I found that my trainees really struggle with, is we all need a t-shirt, a fleece-lined one at this time of year, that says, put your goddamn name on it. It's an, a real frustration for my trainees that they, they rush about the classroom collecting in students' work, 
and they haven't put their name on it. So it's absolutely important to be crystal clear in your instructions to students. So you've handed out an assessment. The first thing they must do is put their full name on it. And I spend at least 30 to 60 seconds making sure that happens. What I mean by your full name is your first name and your surname, because I'm going to be putting these into alphabetical order. You really, 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 really spell it out. Then as you circulate the room while they're doing the test, double check that they've done it. Just tap with your finger um, for any student that hasn't. So that's another layer of protection that that's been done. And then as you're taking them in, again, don't just rush around taking them in. Have they put their name on it? Because there is nothing more time wasting than getting two scripts with no name and you've got to figure out who they belong to. If you can, if your classroom is calm and you're not um, worried or, or struggling with the behaviour in that group, I've also found it is a massive time saver to shuffle them into alphabetical order as you take them in. This is one of the reasons it's really important the surnames are there. So if you can, obviously your priority is that class, keeping everybody calm. And if it's the sort of group where you've got to have your head on the swivel, maybe that isn't appropriate. But again, as time, you may find you can do it with some classes in your first couple of years of teaching. Hopefully you'll get to the point, I can do it with all of my classes. So as I'm taking them in, I'm shuffling the scripts into alphabetical order. What that means is when you come to mark, they are all in alphabetical order and you can just record the marks boom, 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 as you go. No errors. Really, really easy. And then my one um, final tip in terms of that sort of collection and distribution process might seem counterintuitive in terms of another suggestion that might take you a minute to do. However, it's not just about saving time, it's about saving stress. I find, there's my pile of marked scripts in alphabetical order. What I then do is very quickly, I've got my seating plan in front of me if I don't have it in my head, and with 13 classes, I quite often don't. Really quickly, I sort them into piles, back row, middle two rows, front row, and then actually it's super quick to shuffle them into the order of student seating. When you get good at it, it takes you about 60 to 90 seconds. That saves a huge amount of stress and pressure at the start of the next lesson, where you're just calmly moving around the room, handing out your scripts, students, uh, in the order that students are sitting. Particularly good if it's early in the year and you're still struggling with names, it's a quick, oh yes, that student is called that. And I find at the beginning of the class, it actually helps to fix their name in my head as well. So those are my top tips, uh, some of which uh, I've only just thought of in recent years. Uh, and as I say, I've been going a long time. It just makes life a lot easier. Another tip that I've started uh, doing in the last few years is using an erasable red pen. Life changing. Um, you can buy them on Amazon and you can buy refills. Um, they don't last very long, um, but they are an absolute godsend because I find if you're marking super quickly, which we all need to be doing, it's very easy to say, oh, I've ticked that and I shouldn't have ticked that or I've circled that and actually it's right. You can rub it out. It saves a lot of time and stress. Now, bigger marking projects 
such as mock exams are obviously a project in themselves. My top tip for marking exams is mark by question. There's lots of reasons for that. You can have that section of the mark scheme in front of you. Uh, so it's much better for fairness because you're marking um, to the same thing for each student. And it's actually how exams are formally marked by um, paid markers uh, for the exam board. They will mark a particular question or a particular group of question. But my other big tip is set a timer, set a stopwatch, set yourself a goal. Parkinson's law states that a task will fill to expand to fill the time that you have available for it. So you actually, and it's really hard when, especially at this time of year and you're feeling low on energy, but you will thank yourself, set a timer and race against the clock. Don't sit there on an evening listening to music with a glass of red wine, which I know is what a lot of teachers do. And I'm not judging, but I'm saying that is going to take you three times as long. So I don't think that's the way to do it. You want to be powering through it, not relaxing into it. Relaxing into it troubles the time. So I don't think that is saving you stress uh, in, in the long term. And in relation to that, remember, we know this from our training, or we should do, from our training uh, and from everything that we've read about cognitive load. Multitasking is a myth. We know that you can't do two things at once. So if you're trying to do two things at once, all you're doing is spending more time on both of those things. Tim Ferriss writes in the four hour week, if you prioritise properly, there is no need to multitask. It's a symptom of task creep, doing more to feel productive while actually accomplishing less. Divided attention will result in more frequent interruptions, lapses and concentration, poorer net results and less gratification. And he's absolutely right. We know this, we tell our students this, so we need to apply it to ourselves and how we do the job as well. So it's now time for the news, but I do hope you will stay with me on Teachers Talk Radio, not least because straight after the news, we have my regular slot, Teachers Confess. If you have something to confess in total confidence, of course, then do send your confession to me. My DMs are open on Twitter, so you can contact me in private at Emma underscore C underscore Williams. I'd love to hear from you. So today's confession uh, involves the perils of an open evening. So stay with me. Don't go anywhere. This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. In Scotland, school inspections will not go ahead as planned in the new year, according to a report in the TES. Education Scotland, the national inspection body, released a statement on Friday. In it, they refer to the ongoing challenges faced by schools and state that inspectors will not resume routine inspection programmes as originally planned. The article goes on to refer to planned recovery visits, which may take place from mid-February, but it stresses that this is only if COVID-19 allows, and that these visits will aim to support the education sector as it continues to respond to the impact of the pandemic. Grades will not be given as part of these visits. 
Whilst this news was welcomed by education unions in Scotland, it's likely to provoke further calls by many for Ofsted to take similar action in England. Concerns about rising student debt have been brought to the fore again in an article featured on the website Money Expert. Following a Freedom of Information request from a former student, it's revealed that the largest university debt in the UK is £189,000. In a thread posted on Reddit, dozens of current and former students highlighted the large amounts of interest that are being accrued from student loans. In response to the revelations made, moneyexpert.com reports that the student loan company responded by saying the examples referred to on Reddit were exceptional cases. The Reddit thread has, however, reignited the debate about student loans and the interest that can be accumulated. The issue is not new, but did become a contentious topic in 2009 when the limit on university tuition fees was raised to £9,000 per year. Recent data has found that those graduating in 2020 had an average debt of £45,060 and the current interest rate is 5.6%, which is far higher than the vast majority of personal loan rates available on the high street. The pandemic has also raised questions about the overall value for money of some university courses, where much of the tuition has been delivered online. Finally, many media outlets across the UK are highlighting schools which have featured in Parent Power 2022, the 29th edition of the Sunday Times Guide to Britain's Highest Achieving Primary and Secondary Schools in both the state and independent sector. The guide is published without making use of the results from the Summer 2021 exam series. This is an approach similar to that taken in the previous year and allows for schools differing approaches in calculating teacher and centre assessed grades. See local press for details. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio Weekend News with Joe Fox. This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. Well, welcome back after the news. So we are now coming to my regular slot, which is Teachers Confess. So remember, if you have something you'd like to get off your chest, something you said, something you did or forgot, we've all got those things and uh, they can haunt us forever. So if you'd feel better, better, better bearing your soul to the nation, then this is definitely the place to do it. Remember, my DMs are open on Twitter, so you can contact me on there. So today's confession is from an English teacher whom I will call Judy. It had been a long, hard start to the term in a school where morale was on the floor and we weren't far behind. The head teacher was a giant pain and universally unpopular, having followed hot on the heels of a knighted for services to education head teacher that really was the bee's knees for staff, students and the local community. It remains the hardest first half term I've ever known in my 14 years teaching in the classroom. So this particular September, when it came to the year six open evening, it's safe to say that brushing up a modicum of enthusiasm for infusing a new intake was like finding a staple gun in a classroom when you want to do your display. Nigh on impossible. Anyway, 
fairly large and lovely English department who loved our jobs, we had all brushed off our negativity and launched into the preparation needed to ensure that we could show off the best things about. You've been oh, listening to. That didn't happen as I meant to. I thought the uh, refrain would repeat, but never mind. So back to the uh, confession that we could show off the best things about my subject at the school and get excited about it. We had games, puzzles, Q&As and the usual bump all ready. Classrooms were sparkling, displays were dazzling and we were ready to go. As things got off to a slow start, it seemed like nobody had considered that English was ready and waiting for the first group to be uh, brought around. We waited for an hour before we got our first keen year six families and after that it was non-stop. Safe to say, two hours later, the time had whizzed by and as the last group left with their year 11 guide, we felt we'd done ourselves and the school proud. We were pretty tired, very much ready to go home and pleased that that was it. Ready to pack up and get back to normal. Diligently, we packed up the razzmatazz of the display tables, sent home the student helpers, and shared out a little sip from the sneaky bottle of Prosecco that a colleague had brought in to mark home time and that had pulled us through our day. Sometimes there's a shared joy in shared rebellion, and this was our small version. Enjoying our camaraderie and fizzy sips, we relaxed and chatted on. Suddenly, we heard footsteps. The classroom we had chosen was the first on the corridor at the top of a flight of stairs. The echoes were real. The footsteps were increasing and so was the shrill trill of the head teacher who had chosen to relieve the student leaders of their job as a guide and bring what was seemingly another round of parents and year six students. The millisecond of frozen fear was enough to confirm that we were about to be caught off guard and in what may very well have looked like a classroom style informal micro bar situation. Then the genius of the group acted fast. Lights were flicked off, Tables were silently tipped up, so they were on their short end, and the entire department stood two by two behind a wall of six upended tables, holding our breath. The footsteps got closer. The door handle was touched. The door opened. By this point, the head teacher had realised that the room was dark and put the lights on to look. We didn't dare move. The realisation that we should have checked that there were no more groups was, of course, something that had dawned on us, but hindsight is a wonderful thing. The head teacher closed the door quietly and took the parents along the corridor using the one-way system and out of the other end. We were all quivering at this point. We had no idea if the head had picked up on what we had done or not. We took our paraphernalia and left quick smart to head home for a sleepless night, wondering if we had been sussed or not. We hadn't, although the head of department who wasn't present was asked to inform us all 
that there was to be no leaving the building until a double check had been done on future open evenings. So I've just got this amazing image of you all hiding behind stood up tables, knowing the head teacher was in the doorway. Absolutely unbelievable. Because of course, there's no way of explaining that. Um, you can't go, oh, we were just clearing up. I mean, you were clearly hiding. So just incredible. I'm betting that that head teacher chose not to say anything because I think sometimes um, there's maybe it's better left than actually sort of dealing with it. Yeah, absolutely amazing, um, especially the Prosecco. That would certainly be very much frowned on uh, in our school. Um, not so much my previous school. That was kind of considered okay, but no, current one, definitely a bit of a no-no. Okay, so we've got lots of people still listening, which is fantastic. Do send me your ideas. So what I'm going to be moving on to now is technology and the extent to which it can help or hinder us in terms of saving time and stress. So lots of people I know do amazing things with spreadsheets and the like. I would like training in this area because I don't know about you, but I do not understand Excel. I'm outing myself on this one. I simply don't get it. I don't understand it. I mean, obviously I can put things in columns and that's, but that's basically what I do. I just put things in columns, but I don't understand how you make it do things for you. Um, and I'm sure it could save me a lot of time if somebody actually showed me how to get it to do things for you. So I would really like training on this. Perhaps I should raise that at my school because um, I think it could potentially be a massive time saver. And when I see what some people are doing with it, I think, oh, amazing. But I can't do it and I haven't got time to try and work out how to do it. For me, a big boom, and I'd like to say this is product placement, as I'd like to say I've been gifted a free one, but I haven't. My big life-changing boom is the iPad. Other tablets are available, apparently. Um, but yeah, that's the one I've got. Now, so many reasons why using an iPad in school has made a difference to me in terms of time and stress. So we use class charts in my school. So in, we use it for everything. So we take registers on it and we use it for our behaviour management system. So in terms of achievement points, behaviour points, setting homework as well, we use it for absolutely everything. And there is an app and you can access the whole thing on your iPad life-changing and I don't I don't get why everyone isn't doing this I've had a couple of colleagues approach me and ask me what I'm using it for there's a very very tiny handful of us using the iPad around the school but really I mean fewer than five as as far as I can see now one thing is you can do the register standing up and moving around the room so in our school, we use the do now, students enter in silence, sit down in silence. So you're, you need to be there, eyes like a hawk, watching the kids, get, make sure, making sure they're doing what they're meant to be doing. 
But then obviously, as they settle, as you feel, yep, everyone is doing uh, what they're supposed to be doing, that's when you want to be using some of that time at least to take the register. Personally, I choose to do it in silence because I think they should be concentrating on what they're doing, not listening to me droning a list of names. Um, but obviously, your school may have a different policy on that. The iPad makes this possible. So I have the seating plan in front of me. So the first thing I do, look at the seating plan, compare it to the spread in front of me take a mental note, okay, that student is missing, what's their name? That student's missing, what their, what's their name? Before I even open up the attendance register. So I've got a mental picture of potentially who I'm missing. And then of course, when you open up the register, hopefully it will that student will already be marked out and you only need to be giving any of your um, thought or energy to where they might be if that isn't the case. Sometimes that is the case. That's when obviously you might want to ask the class, anyone know where this student is? And potentially our school policy is, especially depending on who that student is, whether they're particularly vulnerable, you might be needing to email patrol. I can do that from the iPad. So all of this means that I, that process is facilitated. I'm standing in front of the class. I'm standing above them, potentially able to move around and therefore stand near a student that may need a little bit of cajoling into doing what they need to be doing. I am not tied to my computer. And I think it's one of the biggest worries I have about technology is teachers being far too interested in logging onto their machine than they are in looking at what the class is doing, using that radar. It's so important and can nip so many problems in the bud that will then cause you stress later in the lesson. So having this in your hand makes all of that possible. Now there's a million other things as well that we're, we're using it for that the iPad facilitates. Yes, achievement points and behavior points. Lots of teachers use the random selector as well. Um, and again, that works on the iPad. I have, I have checked that. Um, we have a departmental policy that if a student forgets their book, then obviously they get a behaviour point for lack of equipment. And in addition, they are told that they need to take their book, copy up the work and then show that to me the next lesson. So what I do is put that as a catch up work on class charts for that particular student. I've got a template. And again, when I have the conversation with that student, I can say to them, by the way, this is now on class charts under your name as an extra 10 minute catch up homework for you. Boom, there it is. It's not something I have to remember to do in my own time, which again, in reality is never gonna happen. So it gives you that power. It empowers you to follow that up when otherwise reality of time and stress is you simply might not be able to do that. What else? Um, Oh, toilet visits. We, we're, we're asked to record those. We've got a bit of a major issue with bladder problems in all year groups at the moment. I don't know if you're finding this, but my goodness me, um, the number of students that are claiming an absolute medical emergency situation, they simply must go to the toilet. Um, obviously, us monitoring that and, and uh, seeing which students are at this on a regular basis is really useful because then they're head of year, can contact home and go, um, 
really? Um, does your child need to see the doctor? Or actually, far more likely, do you need to be having a conversation with your child about staying in class? Um, so hugely powerful for that. Whereas again, if you've got to leave it, you know, a kid always interrupts you in the middle of whatever you're doing, don't they? And you've got to do it. And then you've got to go to your machine. And this is why I think, certainly in our school, it's a little bit inconsistent with teachers actually recording that. Whereas I can do it straight away. I've got the iPad in my hand and I record every single one. So I have found it absolutely life changing. Beyond that, um, really life changing on duty. So handling students that I don't know who are being less than well mannered in the corridor, for example. We've all had that moment where we say, right, come here. What's your name? and they give you a false name. That has happened to me more than once. You've then got to waste time going onto class charts or whatever system that you use, trawling through that year group, finding, oh, okay, that was them. And, and it wastes an inordinate amount of time. Whereas if you've got that machine in front of you and you say, what's your name? They know that you're looking them up in front of them. So they can't lie because you're going to find out immediately that they've lied. It's not something that you have to then spend time on later in the day. So they give you their real name, they have your point straight away. It's, it's a really, really powerful tool for that. Um, other things, chasing up when a student says, oh, well, I didn't, um, I, I, yeah, I've done the homework or I haven't done the homework or whatever. Um, on class charts, you can literally show them, you haven't even looked at this homework. It's there under your class, under your name. And I can see whether you've looked at it or not. And you haven't, look at that. And they, you've absolutely got them banged to rights, which can be quite satisfying when they're doing the whole, my dog ate it, blah, 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 nonsense. Um, so absolutely hugely powerful. I find it makes a real difference to my level of control you know how much how much i can do how many things i then don't let go which i feel i would otherwise let go because i'm under too much pressure now i'm also a recent convert to the the electronic pencil um, i asked for one for my birthday and uh, and i received one and yeah that is pretty powerful too i asked for it because i saw these very few other colleagues that do use uh, a tablet I saw them using it and thought, mm, okay, interesting. So really powerful um, using it during a meeting. You can scribble directly onto a PDF file, for example. Um, that is, is really, really useful. So I'm an ECT mentor and I'm using that PDF um, mentor handbook and I'm scribbling straight onto it. And I find that incredibly useful. I also use it for observations. So I've got something immediately that's electronic that I can then send to that mentee. And again, you know, yes, a laptop you could use that, but there's, I've tried observing with a laptop and they're a bit heavy and cumbersome and it doesn't really, really work for me. Now, other things in terms of what technology can do for you. Um, another thing that I would really like somebody to talk me through, because I'm not sure I'm using it to its full capacity, is, is Microsoft, um, the email system, because I'm using a filing system, and pretty much every um, middle leader I know is certainly 
doing that. I'm not sure every teacher I know is, but I think, you know, heads of department, heads of year get so many thousands of emails a, a week that they, they need to do that. I certainly have a filing system, but I know there are numerous features that I am not exploiting that I think would be really time saving in the long term. So I would, again, hugely welcome guidance on that, just like I would with Excel. So think very hard about technology. I don't believe in technology for the sake of it. As we were discussing earlier with PowerPoint, you've got to think, is this actually helping or is this just window dressing? Is it something that is saving me time and make and making my lesson better? And I do think those two things need to go hand in hand. Lessons could always be better, but if it's taking you another hour, it's no good because it's not sustainable. So it's really about thinking what bit of technology is right for what I need. Is there something that is going to facilitate this process? All of that said, I am also a massive fan of the post-it note. I think whoever invented the post-it note was a genius. I have some on my desk and I use them for everything. Personal note to self, obviously, if there is something that I cannot do immediately onto class charts or whatever, just a little note reminder, whack it on a post-it note. I use them to label piles of markings. So when I've collected in that alphabetized pile of marking, I, as I say, teach 13 classes. I need to whack a post-it note on the front saying 7Z Virgil. Otherwise, I'm going to lose track of, of what pile of marking that is. Hugely useful absolutely essential get your head of department to invest in big fat piles of post-it notes they are really really useful sometimes i'm writing something down like you know email a child a link because again they say oh i haven't got oh, this child is useless i need to email it to them directly otherwise it's never going to happen quick note to myself and then it's done at the end of the day so technology hugely hugely powerful but the humble post-it note, likewise, equally useful, I think. So we're going to go to another ad break and then I'm going to address the thorny issue of what you do in the holidays. Need support with your phonics teaching? Did you know Oxford University Press now has three DFE validated programmes to help you? Read Write Ink Phonics, Floppies Phonics, and the brand new Essential Letters and Sounds. Essential Letters and Sounds will get all your children reading well, quickly, using phonics books you may already have in your classroom. Developed by the Knowledge Schools Trust English Hub, it's affordable, easy to use, and makes teaching phonics with letters and sounds more effective. Whatever your school's phonics needs, Oxford has the solution. To find out more and receive support from your expert local educational consultant, visit oxfordprimary.com forward slash phonics. So school holidays. It is something that the press have strong opinions on, shall we say. Um, and it's usually the first thing that anybody says to me when I say I'm a teacher. I find, well, I find the first reaction is either, oh, I couldn't do that, or... Um, oh, yeah, you get a third of the year off. That's that's pretty standard. Um, 
I, I now, you know, I don't care. I just go, yeah, it's fantastic. And if they continue to um, snark about it, I make the point to them that there is still a teacher shortage. And if they would like to um, join a profession where, as they put it, we get a third of the year off, then um, please do go to it. Get paid to train. Don't know what, and that usually shuts them up. Yeah, yeah, that usually shuts them up. They don't actually want to be a teacher. So we do, let's be frank, we do get a third of the year off. And one of the things that I've observed in my 21 years of teaching is the cycle of binge work, binge holiday. And it's really easy to slide into that in teaching. So this time of year, especially where it's so high pressure, you are so exhausted when it comes to the holiday that you don't do anything. And I think it's that endless cycle of binge work, insanely long days, drive yourself into the ground, and then, oh, but I, I, I'm, I have to take all of that time off because I'm so exhausted. So I think the way I've always done it, and it works for me, I know it won't work for everybody, but it works for me, is I do quite a lot of work in the holidays. Now, I'm not talking the Christmas holiday. That's a complete write-off. Um, I am usually too knackered. There is too much to do. Um, and there is that massive interruption of the run-up to Christmas and New Year where usually one has very important personal commitments that have to take priority. And I find that once all of that is done, um, I frankly don't have time to do anything that relates to school. So Christmas holiday, I do tend to think, is an exception but pretty much every single other holiday, and certainly the summer, I do a huge amount of work. So in my subject, for example, the, the set texts change every two years. They let us off this year, they gave us an extra year because of COVID, um, and that was fantastic. But I basically have to prep um, a new Latin text, or two new Latin texts, every two years. Now, they always somehow, even though I've been teaching 21 years, they still seem to come up with a text I've not done before. And you think, oh, brilliant. Okay, fantastic. Another 200 lines of Virgil that I've never studied. And I have to not only study it myself, translate it myself, get a feel for it myself. I then have to create resources with which to present it to the students. Now, I absolutely have to use the holiday to do that. So that's really been essential in my job from day one. So most summer holidays, you know, I'll work nine to five for much of it. Not all of it, not every single day, although there have been some years where it was every single day. Um, but but yeah, a, a sort of steady, normal job. Um, and I find that makes a huge difference. So what I what I do during the year is I keep what my head of department calls a snag list, which I think is a fantastic term. I've done this for years, but I've never called it that. But I'm new policy. I'm calling it that a snag list. So anything that you notice, you think, oh, that didn't go quite right. Or ah, I need to change that. Or, oh, I've thought of a better way of doing that, but I haven't got time to do it now. Put it on your snag list. And that's what you can then look at during game time in the summer term um, and 
a lot of us are blessed with a huge amount of game time in the summer term. That can make a real difference. So you can tackle your snag list, then get as much of it done as you can. But also in that summer holiday, look at your snag list when you've got the time. So you go, okay, that that sequence of lessons, that, I wasn't happy with those. That's when you've got the time to reflect on how you would do it better rather than leaving it forgetting about it and then crashing into it the following year and remembering at that point oh yeah these were a bit rubbish weren't they so i find that hugely hugely powerful and it's also about doing as much as you can to get yourself ahead and prepared for those really tough times particularly in the second half of the autumn term and the beginning of the spring. For me, it's it's mid-October to end of end of January for me. It's really interesting. Carly earlier on the show mentioned February as a tough time, and so many other teachers have said that to me that February's a real low point for them. I love February. Two reasons. One, short month. So it's over in 28 days. Two, you get the half term. And there's a you get that half term and then by the time you go back after that half term because you've had a week off work and you're not doing that i walk to work so i particularly notice the weather and the how light it is how dark it is going back after that half term you really see the difference and you see the days are getting longer and you can see oh we're finally there we've we've turned the corner into spring so for me i i find february is a real a real positive month. I, I, feel, I see it as the, the turning point into spring and I, and I love it for that reason. January, definitely the perhaps the low point for me, that long, dark month, all the fun of Christmas over and it, it can really get you down. So you've got to think, as, as Carly said in her, her thread of tweets and said on the show, you've got to be good to yourself. You've got to be kind to yourself. And I think it's really important to use the summertime, so gained time in the summer term and the summer holiday to think, right, what can I do now that will make that time easier? And anything that you can do, do it. Don't leave it and think, oh, oh you know, I, I need this time off. I need to switch off. I don't want to think about school. For me, I think binge work is really unhealthy. So for me, I think it's absolutely crucial to use that time to take the pressure off yourself in those dark days. Now, obviously, there's things you can't do. You can't you can't mark. <laughs> there's, there's nothing to mark. Um, and thank God for that, because I must say, out of my list of things, it's my most hated task. Um, I think because it has to be done. It is really important, but it's never something that you're going to be banking for next year. Lesson planning, resource making, I was like, yeah, I can use this again. This is amazing. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be benefiting from this in the long term. Marking is just an endless blip. It's like cleaning, isn't it? It's gotta be done, but you know you're gonna to have to do it again. And that I think is always makes for an extremely depressing task. So um somebody has texted in saying, when you say it like that, I feel I'm wasting my time off. Yeah, um, and I, I mean, as I say. This is very much a personal view, and I know that other people feel that their holidays are absolutely sacred. I also 
100% acknowledge I am not a parent trumpet fanfare. So I fully understand that a lot of people um, need that time with their children. And that's absolutely crucial. So they can't be doing what I'm doing. But if you can dedicate any holiday time to your work and planning and getting ahead for the tough times, it is worth doing. So I know, for example, my head of department does. He certainly doesn't, probably doesn't do as much as I do. He has a child, but he does. He does set some time aside and he's very firm about that with his partner that this has to be done. I'm, I'm sorry, but I, I've got to dedicate this time to it. Otherwise, I'm going to crack in the autumn term. So it's that, it's that, you know, sense of looking after yourself. He knows that if he doesn't use that time, certain periods of time in the holidays, then things won't get done and pressure on him will be too, too great. Uh, in those tough times. Now, another thing that I have come to recently is avoiding over-resourcing. So I used to be photocopying queen. Um, at times, a little bit of, sort of a little bit of tension uh, between me and whoever I'm working for, um, because I would be... Uh, shall we say at the top of the list in terms of photocopying budget uh yeah i was hurling bits of paper at the kids and i think i felt if i even if i've got enough resources bum, 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 you know then they've never without something to do um i felt that was me in control and apps i would have piles of stuff much of which none of them would use or at least only one or two would and the turning point was the pandemic so we all knew that we were coming back to a school where we would be in bubbles we'd be moving around first thing i thought was well i, I cannot be carrying um piles of textbooks around that just isn't practical Plus, this was, do you remember those times when we actually thought that you caught it off handing out textbooks? And that, I mean, it seems ridiculous now, doesn't it? But we didn't know how the virus spread. So there was all this ridiculous stuff about quarantining piles of books. And good Lord, we've been through some times, haven't we? But yes, I thought, well, I, I've got a load of textbooks that I use with both year seven and year eight. That's not going to work because they're in separate bubbles. So I immediately was like, OK, I'm going to have to ditch textbooks number one that I just can't use them it's it's not I couldn't see a way of it of it practically working um I'd have to be carrying around them them around the whole time and potentially disinfecting them between lessons it wasn't going to happen so textbooks went and that same paranoia that we all had where you know senior leadership was saying to us you can't hand out bits of paper well thank you to them for telling me that because again I thought okay well I'm gonna have to think differently so I started to put a lot more on screen so previously I had instructions on the screen you know start the exercise when you finish do da, 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 da. and then I'd have the exercise on a piece of paper I've ditched that completely exercise is now on the screen and what I've also learned to do is slow down. And by that, I don't mean doing less. My students are working harder than they have ever worked. 
but I am not hurling resources at them. So I've got, for example, 10 Latin sentences on the board practicing the grammar point that they've just been introduced to or that they're revising. Then a challenge task would be doing something else with those sentences. So I am not then creating myself another resource that I have to create. When you finish, here's some challenge, more challenging sentences, blah, blah, blah. No, think of a challenge that relates to the material you've already got. So, for example, in my subject, that might be when you finished. Go through the sentences again, pick out the uh, noun and adjective pair and tell me the case, gender and number of that pair. An even more challenging challenge when they've done that, change all the numbers. So that might mean changing a sentence from the singular into the plural or the plural into singular. That is massively hard. And what the students soon realise is they can't do that quickly. If they rush through it, if they rush through it, they they will fail. And, and I will come over and go, no, wrong, 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 think again. So what I've really learned is that I was putting so much pressure on myself to produce tons and tons and tons and tons of resources so that I was filling their time. And actually, what I needed to do was take my foot off the gas and say, right, now you've done that, look at those again and think about these grammar points, think about this question, analyse what you're doing. And of course, actually, so much more powerful because that's actually preparing them for the part of the exam where they are asked grammar questions so i'm i'm in a i'm in a win-win situation there now um we have a message the pandemic introduced me to one note says somebody with a, some a string of letters i no longer photocopy yay join the club i can properly read students work as they write brackets type and love marking without them stopping um, and they and I can see that they're actively on task. I also don't break my back carrying books around. Yeah, this is the thought process I went through. So yeah, again, as I say, whatever bit of technology that this teacher obviously finds that piece of technology has um, enabled them to save themselves time and effort. That's what it's about. That's what technology's for, saving you time and effort. If it's not doing that, don't use it. If it is, absolutely fantastic. So yeah, my big revelation, and this is incredibly recent because as I say, it all started with the pandemic. Stop using the blooming photocopier. Stop producing gallons and gallons of stuff. Take a pause. What, okay, this is the exercise that I've given them. What challenge task can I set that relates to the task I've already created? So that's just another couple of minutes thinking time, not 20 minutes or half an hour, creating another resource. That all takes a huge amount of time that I've then got to go and trail off to the photocopier and produce. Hugely powerful. And yeah, I, I will never go back. My textbooks are still sitting as a pile on my shelf. And the only time they've been rolled out is uh, when I had COVID and I was setting work from home and actually again amazing stress saver what i realized was gosh because i'm not using those textbooks anymore i can then rely on them for cover work so i can say yeah that's where the books are they can actually use 
the textbook there's an exercise that is hmm, sort of relevant you know it's it's something that i've got to fall back on for those times of stress when i'm off and i need to set some cover work so it's actually again really been a boom really been a boom whereas normally if i was using the textbooks in class i've then got to think of something else when i'm off sick and create a resource which someone has then got to go off and photocopy which i then feel really guilty about so yeah life-changing so pandemic not all bad um, <laughs> another general thing and so talking about photocopying this is kind of related um don't do displays if your school demands them, fight them on the evidence or demand support from technicians. So our school's been really good. We've really rolled back on those because senior leadership have taken on board the evidence that actually displays can be a massive distraction. You know, some of these classrooms that used to exist, well, they were just like, like jazz hands on every, every wall. Borderline terrifying. Um, and really, very very distracting for students but more importantly for my topic of the day a massive massive waste of everybody's time so if you do need displays and obviously they're nice to have in the corridor because that is genuinely something for students to look at you might want to promote your subject or and um, promote your subject council or whatever it is well firstly get the subject council members to do it for you. Secondly, as I say, technicians, crucial. Your school should not be asking teachers to do this. If they want displays done, they need to provide be providing that support from technicians. So we have a fantastic art technician uh, and she's absolutely amazing. And she is, of course, a neat freak. So she's really good at making, she makes it look so much better than I could ever do. I'm rubbish at this sort of thing. Um, and we book her and, and she is pulled out amongst the departments and she's amazing. She does it in a, a tenth of the time that it would take me uh, and she does it better because she's got those skills. But in terms of how many displays you're asked to do and how much time and effort and energy goes into that, remember that mantra that I mentioned at the start of the show, show me the evidence. What is the evidence that these displays are going to impact on teaching and learning? And if they're not going to, why are you asking your teachers to do it? I think that is so important. And I think that show me the evidence mantra is that gives me the strength to go to whoever it is that's asking me to do the job and say, really? <laughs> really? Why am I spending my time doing this? I think it's really important. I mentioned earlier a blog by Adam Boxer. So this is from a few months back and he, he wrote a blog um, on saving, uh, how to save time and, and stress um, along a similar theme. And something I'd like to lift from it, which I think really made me pause and think, oh, I've said this, but he admitted it. He said he said it himself as well. Is that phrase, don't stay too long. And we've all said it, haven't we? We've all said it to colleagues um, who, when we're leaving and we see our, you know, perhaps a less experienced colleague still busy doing something and we'll, we'll sort of 
and it, it can that it sounds really smug doesn't it don't stay too long you know i've finished you haven't it's not a helpful thing to say and it really really gave me pause because i know i've said it and, and adam admitted that so did he now he suggests replacing that with what have you still got to do and that is so much better if especially if you're their head of department or you're their mentor so he says if you say what have you still got to do rather than don't stay too long the answer to that actually puts you in a position to help them because if they then say well they'll, they'll hopefully tell you what they're doing it could be something that they don't need to do or it could be something that that you think you know what i'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna take that off you because you should be you shouldn't be doing that or could it be amalgamated into something else whatever it's it's a helpful question that will potentially support that colleague rather than just adding i think you're adding extra pressure to someone aren't you and and i know it's it's been a thing in schools this you know leave on time it's not helpful it really isn't helpful it just adds another layer of pressure so i thought that was absolutely brilliant from adam what have you still got to do rather than don't stay too long really really powerful well it has been an absolute pleasure i've heard from lots of people thrilled to be contacted by carly this morning who said why don't i come on and, and say a little bit more about my thread if if you're going to create it and that was absolutely brilliant so i've had a blast i hope that maybe just one or two things that we've come up with might be of use to somebody because sometimes it can just be something really tiny that can make a real real difference and it's those things that we forget to share with each other i think i do hope that you'll join me again on teachers talk radio later today we have joseph hammond at one o'clock and i also want to give a shout out to one of our new hosts kaylee clark who tomorrow from five o'clock will be talking about her experiences as a fresh-faced ECT. Uh, I know she was listening this morning, so hopefully she might have gained some useful nuggets of wisdom from those of us who are a bit longer in the tooth. But I'll certainly be tuning in uh, to hear Kaylee sharing her experiences at the other end of the spectrum, just joining the profession. Now, trumpet fanfare. I think I can do that on here, but I can't be bothered to work out why. So just imagine it. Trumpet fanfare. Next week on my show, I have Tom Bennett joining me in a show dedicated to the question, are the kids all right? I will be asking him that very question, exploring whether behaviour in schools has declined over the years or whether I'm just turning into Vernon, the horrible teacher in the breakfast club. You must know the scene. I've been teaching 22 years and every year these kids get more arrogant. And then the other guy goes, come on, Vern, the kids haven't changed, you have. So, yeah, I'm going to be discussing that with Tom. I absolutely cannot wait. And I do hope that you will join me for that. But for now, look after yourselves and have a great weekend. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.